Welcome to With Heart and Wonder. This is a place for us to explore heart-centered living and to celebrate what it means to live with wonder, with awe and appreciation for the possibilities that are within us and around us. I'm Megan Johnston, and I am truly so honored and excited that you are here. Let's dive in and journey together. Welcome to episode 46 of With Heart and Wonder. I'm joined today in conversation by my friend Dan Malaspina, who is such a role model in my own life. You'll see in this episode that she has such a nurturing presence and just so much wisdom. We're also joined for the beginning of the episode by her pup, Luca. You'll notice a few extra noises in the background, but Luca settles in as we get going. And in the first part of the episode, we're really exploring grief and and what grief is, the presence it has in our lives, how it manifests. And in the second part, we really dive into pathways for growth in the aftermath of grief and what it looks like to care for ourselves and and find meaning as we move forward. I so hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Diane. I am really so excited to have you here today and um, I'm a big fan of you, which I think you know and have been ever since we met um, a few years ago at a yoga medicine training and I just, um, I, I am so grateful for the knowledge that you bring you you were just sharing with me actually before we we hit the record button that this is your 17th year of teaching and I really see you as a mentor and a leader in um in my my yoga world and um and as as such a wealth of knowledge but also of deep embodied wisdom and compassion and I know that um we're gonna chat a little bit today about grief and I know that you have all sorts of expertise to to share on this topic and I think it's a topic that um that we all relate to in some way or another. So thank you so much for being here. And I'd love if you wanted to just tell us a little bit about you and um, and, and your work before we dive in a little deeper. Well, thank you for that very, very warm welcome, Megan, and those very sweet sentiments. I really appreciate that. Um, you inspire me too. Well, I'm an applied psychologist and I'm also a yoga teacher, like you mentioned. Um, I've been in the wellness industry for close to 20 years. And I've spent a lot of time both in the academic realm um, and then in the last 10 to 15 years, more so applying psychology in the community. And so what I do is I take the evidence base, which means I'm really up to date on the research on different interventions to help people cope with stress. Uh, A lot of my work is with families and with children, also with parents, um, adults who are facing stress and are looking for ways to improve their interactions and well as some holistic strategies for just feeling better in their lives. And then as a yoga teacher, through my my training with yoga medicine and Tiffany Cookshank, um, as well as some other work that I've done um, with philosophical studies with Janet Stone and my roots in vinyasa with uh, Shiva Ray and Prana Vinyasa Flow and you know embodiment and the energetics. I've really combined all of these passions into 
combining my work as a yoga teacher and now with an emphasis in mental health and well-being. So um, now I do a lot of yoga teacher trainings and um, continuing education, as well as local 200-hour and 500-hour yoga teacher trainings. But on the side, I'm, I'm working in the realm of really using my background and skills in promoting mental health through practices like yoga and mindfulness. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And um, and I had the pleasure of taking, I guess it was a year and a half ago now, the um, one of your uh, trainings in, in collaboration, of course, with, um, with Tiffany Crookshank and Valerie Nofik, the yoga medicine mental health training. And, and it was so so fascinating to um, your work as as an applied psychologist and a behavioral psychologist and to see that weaved into yoga definitely was so so illuminating for me and and really um, I, I, it's always so neat for me to to see some of the ways that folks in um, that are healthcare providers and and are in in um, especially the field of psychology and mental health like to see the overlaps and the ways in which yoga can be used as a tool and meditation um, as a supplement and as an adjunct to to care is is so cool. I. I love because I know that you have been speaking a lot and writing on grief and I mean gosh if there was like a word that summed up or or really started to get at what a lot of people were feeling over the last year I mean we're recording this in in January 2021 and it's almost a year now since the pandemic first came to North America and I know that with that there's been um, a lot of associated emotions not to mention everything else that is is happening um, in the world politically socially culturally and I I think grief has been a part of of our kind of individual and collective experience and but I also think it's it's something that sometimes we have trouble naming and I wonder if we could chat a little bit about um, first just generally about grief and 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 what that kind of can look like um, as an emotion, but also what grief can look like, like mentally and physically um, in our behaviors or, or in our spiritual connection. Yeah, so, so what I'll say is my interest in grief actually started a really long time ago because my training as a psychologist is in developmental psychology. So we study the lifespan, human development, and we look at really what are the different, I was looking at, what are really the different points in life that are transition points where we can look at how people navigate these stressful transitions. And death is is one of those. Uh, and so death is one form of grief. So I'll, I'll start by saying that. So we can look at loss, right? And we can say the loss of a loved one through death is one form of grief. There's also grief that's related to something not coming to fruition in our lives that we thought would come into fruition. So for some people that's, you know, landing a particular career, um, for some people that's a fertility journey, for some people that's divorce because they envisioned that their life would be with a partner, you know, till death do they part. So there's lots of, and, there, and there's many, many more examples that I could give you. 
Um, and then there is also grief that we could look at in terms of what's happening today in our in our in living with a pandemic is that there is a steady flow of loss and disconnection that people are experiencing. Loss and disconnection is related to how life used to be and how we want life to be now. And so the experience of grief that people are experiencing is showing up in different ways. And so it's similar to to what you have a strong background in is, is how people cope with stress. And so grief can show up in a very similar way because grief is a stress response. So when we look at the physical symptoms, we can see pain in the body. Uh, We can see uh, physical muscular tension. We can see digestive issues. Um, People, some people have uh, like are eating more as a coping response. Some people can't eat as as a coping response, meaning these aren't healthy coping responses, but they're just ways that people are getting by. Um, and we also see the tendency for people to possibly move into escape behaviors like using substances or engaging in behaviors, um, even such as social media to distract them from dealing with what's in front of them. So there's a mind, body, spirit, uh, sort of reaction physically. It has to do with the ways that stress impacts the body. So we can have muscular and physical tension, like I mentioned. We can have digestive issues. Um, we can also have a decreased immune response because when our body is under prolonged stress, that also decreases the body's capacity to heal and to prevent possible disease. And then there's also the um, other systems of the body, like the cardiovascular system and the respiratory system that can be impacted by prolonged stress that grief brings about. Mentally, we can see, of course, depression and anxiety, um, which are again, normal responses, but we can also see brain fog, lack of concentration. Um, We can see lack of motivation, the ability to initiate actions in life, Um, the inability to stay clear and focused, or we can even see lapses in memory. Um, And then spiritually, there is, you know, sometimes a spiritual crisis. Um, Sometimes there's that sense of bargaining. What could I have done differently um, in terms of, of, you know, my moral character in life to this, for this to have not to have happened or that sense of betrayal from a higher power in, you know, possibly this, this thing that the person is, has experienced loss with is directing that toward their higher power. So if it's a death, like, um, you know, challenging their belief system, or why would you punish me like that by taking this person from me, right? So those are some of the thoughts. Or if it's like something like going through a divorce or or not fulfilling something in life that was, you know, a, a big deal in life, it could be something like, um, why, why is, you know, what have I not done in life to deserve to have X, Y, Z happen for me? So it can be a, a sense of a spiritual crisis. Yeah, yeah. And, and so many different kind of, like unique possibilities from what you just shared, like so many different possibilities of the way that grief can manifest in our lives. And, you know, combination of, of, of what might be showing up, you know, could be something like, 
those negative stories maybe about ourselves or about the world that we're telling ourselves and also physical symptoms or instead it might be more of a spiritual crisis and and I know that the experience of of grief is is um is is in a way so individualized um and yet like it also seems that there's something like and I don't know if if you've kind of um, explored this much in your work, but like there's this aspect of grief too that is is really tied up in in like this sense of connection and like the sense of connection both to ourselves but also to 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 what's beyond us to our to the different layers of our body to to our communities to our families I mean cultures and anthropologists and um talk about like the different we've had rituals for grieving for for so long for forever practically and um though though maybe and I know I've I've seen people speak about the fact that you know in this current day and age sometimes we're at a loss for how to grieve and I think maybe in some cases um you mentioned some of those more maladaptive behaviors and coping strategies like could be eating or, or could be um, things like substance abuse or or um, or any number of of behaviors and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like what it looks like to grieve well if we want to use that terminology or 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 what grief can look like yeah I think that's a that's a good question I don't know if we can overly control it. (laughs) So I will say that. I will say that. So I, so I want to put that out there, but I want to say a couple things that maybe will put together some pieces of information in a way for you to continue to make connections on this. But the first is that mammals, as far as we know, are pre-wired for grief. Um, So many animals actually, not only humans, experience a grief response in the face of losing, we're using loss of a loved one here, loss or loss of a, you know, of a a tribe mate in terms of a pack of animals or something like that. So other animals experience grief and have similar grief behaviors as humans. So we know that there is a hard wiring in our nervous systems and our genetics um, that predispose us or that actually wire us to have a grief response in the face of loss. There is also a biological wiring um, for separation between Mm. humans. Um, It probably comes in out of animal research as well, but I'm more familiar with it with humans. And so that when we look back at the stages of grief that like Kubler-Ross points out, right, which is a a really um, more famous uh, theory of grief, although it's not always supported as happening like in that order that she talks about. But I think what she did well is that she pulled out the different components of denial and um, anger and bargaining and then acceptance as these different behaviors and different phases that people will oscillate through. And I I do think it's more of an oscillation. But what I want to say here is that when we separate from someone that we love, and this happens like when given that there's a relatively healthy family interaction, when a student moves away from to go to college, right? And the parents, mm. that when you launch a child. So this separation happens, especially when we lose someone to death that we care about. And in that process, there are also some behaviors that we see that are common across people 
that are related to that. And they are similar to those same factors related to what Kubler-Ross talks about in terms of um, anger and denial and bargaining and acceptance. It just, it's just not as exaggerated when like a loved one moves away or something like that. Okay. So that's part of it. Then knowing that the best way to cope with any stress and challenge in life, and especially with something as intense as grief is to build your inner resources so that you're more resilient on a day-to-day basis. And so the resiliency isn't necessarily what we're doing in response to something. Resiliency is something that we're doing as part of who we are and our lifestyle. These are actual behaviors that we can engage in and strategies and tools that we can do mentally, physically, spiritually, if people are interested in that as well, where we start to then sort of build up this um, inner capacity to then handle life's difficulties in a much more easeful way. Yes. So my advice is that, and you know, a lot of people talk about self-care and I do, I talk about self-care, but really defining that maybe for people, Yeah. well, everyone has to define that for themselves, can't define that for people. Cause I know what feels caring to me and, you know, fills me up and that changes every day right? So it's nice to have a lot of tools out there. But I would say, like, if we think about our healthy habits, just like someone can commit to drinking water, you know, eight glasses of water a day, or even if somebody can commit to five minutes of meditation a day, believe it or not, those very things such as nourishing yourself with eight eight glasses of water a day and meditating for a minimum of five minutes a day actually are what is building that reservoir that's needed in order to face these more challenging times. Yeah. Um, now I'll answer your question. I'm kind of going yeah. on and on, but your, your question is, okay, so now somebody's experienced a loss or they're in the throes of it. Okay. So they didn't, they maybe weren't doing things ahead of time. Now, what can they do? And again, I would go back to nurturing the self. And so some of it might be nurturing what's happening in the physical body. And a lot of times we don't know because again, we're so easily distracted. So it might take working with a yoga teacher or it might take working with a therapist in order to start to identify some of that. But um, the idea is to start to get in tune with that, to start keeping a journal of the thoughts that are going on because awareness is the first step. So getting in tune with what's happening physically, getting in tune with, with what's happening mentally is going to be really the first step, that sense of awareness. Yeah. Um, And then from there, you know, I look at it for me, yoga therapeutics, um, whether it's for mental health or whether it's for, you know, pain in the physical body, I'm just looking at, okay, well, where can I create a level of strength? Right. And so if a person is feeling like even emotionally weak, you know, I mean, I'm just kind of pulling this out there, but I might work with standing poses in order to help them feel like stronger and steady in their body. And that, that is, is like symbolic for how we then, you know, Mm -hmm. walk out into the world. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
if I'm looking to give somebody who hasn't slept, you know, because they're in grief and they're, they're having a hard time with rest, I might guide them through a yoga nidra practice, which can mm-hmm. bring their, you know, brain waves into a similar state as sleep. And so I'm not necessarily forcing them to be able to sleep, you know, in the evening time, but I can give them 20 minutes of something that might just make them feel better for the rest of the day. And, and sometimes that's really where we want to start. I really appreciate talking about the behavior side of it. And, and I wonder also if we might touch on um, how we give ourselves that like mental and emotional like closure, whether it's like words that we say to ourselves or, or um, and I know it'll differ from person to person, but um, how we kind of can support ourselves, um, obviously knowing that, that there could be deeper work to do with a psychologist but, um, or, or a trained professional, but if there's kind of some general things um, that, that we might do to just kind of take care of our hearts um, in, in those like everyday moments where we might be experiencing sadness or loss. Yeah, it's very important to experience it to feel it, to emote it, to cry, to be angry, to, um, you know, at times laugh, whatever the feeling is, you've got to let it flow. And um, the thing is with the emotional landscape is that we talk in psychology about this term called emotional regulation. And it's a super Mm -hmm. important aspect of the human existence and, and, and really in psychological functioning. And it starts early. It starts when we're babies, right? As far as, as how it develops over time. But the thing that's important is that somewhere along the way in our culture, and maybe in the last 50 years in, in the Western culture, I would say, is that emotions were looked down upon. And so I think that there's a real awakening and a lot of people are talking about the different influences of where mental health is today and and the level of awareness is out there today. And even in looking at grief, you know, a lot of folks um, have bereavement time included in their um, in their benefits at work and things like that. And they don't take it and they don't. Mm -hmm. And and people just think, oh, I'm just going to get back to life. And I think that what's really important is that we need to let the emotions move. We need to express the emotions because we run into problems when we start holding them in and we don't express them. And that's where all those different manifestations of chronic stress start to play into our lives, where we're going to start to have more um, of an impact on our overall, overall health and well-being related to those physical and um, mental effects that we talked about earlier, such as, you know, decrease in memory and executive functioning or the ability to problem solve and make decisions. And then on the physical side, pain and, um, you know, inflammation and things like that. And so we want to experience our emotions and it's important to have support for that. And so we want to, whether that's the natural supports in our lives, that's the people we live with or or people that are in our community is very difficult due to COVID because we don't have the capacity to be in person with people, but that we are using our support systems that we're experiencing our emotions. And if we are not able to regulate these emotions, if we feel that over time, that the intensity of the emotions is not starting to be in sync with the amount of time and work put into the grieving process, then we definitely should get some mental health support and work with a professional because there's probably some trauma that needs to be processed at that point. 
And that, mm-hmm. that would be, you know, beyond what we would do in a yoga setting. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know we, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the importance of kind of, um, like if we're, if we're thinking about these moments of, of transition and, and change and grief in our lives, um, you shared so beautifully that, um, that a big part of it is what we've been doing prior to that moment and how we've been caring for, for our, ourselves and, um, the habits that we've been forming in order to meet these moments of, of life with a little bit more gentleness and resilience and compassion and emotional regulation. And I wonder if we're, um, if we're thinking about kind of like moving forward and, and caring for ourselves well, um, if we're, if we start to turn the conversation a little bit towards kind of fostering pathways for our own growth and well-being, um, what might you share? Well, really, the biggest gift that grief can teach us is that we've had love in our lives, okay? That we felt passionate about something so much so that when it was gone, it broke our hearts. So there's power to even having the experience in and of itself. It's not always easy to recognize. But if we can cognitively engage with the process, and this to me is where the mindfulness practices come in. So if we start to work with some insight meditation techniques, such as sitting and being quiet, letting the emotions flow, and sort of asking ourselves as we're in this this place of sort of witnessing or observation, what is it I am feeling? Where am I feeling it? And I really am into this question right now in my own practices, but I think it's so key when we think about grief. Who am I? Because the who That's am I? That's a big I, question, Diane. It's, it's huge. It's, it's stuck here, Megan. But but really, the who am I? Because when it comes to grief, most likely we're responding to it also through the relationship that we had with the person we lost. Yeah. So, like, um, for example, um, if a mother loses a child that person is still a mother. Yeah. Okay. So the, who am I is, is the question and same thing. So if, if I were to lose a parent, I'm still a daughter, right? Mm -hmm. Even if my parents are not in this physical plane with me. So the, who am I is a good place to start getting comfortable with, being a daughter, let's say I, let's, I, I, my, both my parents are living, but I'm just using this as an analogy. But if I were to lose a parent and then still be a daughter, if I say, who am I? And I start to look at this, I am still me. I have a piece of my heart is broken and probably will be forever because, you know, for the rest of my time, because of the impact that that person had on me, um, my relationship to that emotion and response will change and wax and wane over time. But the mindfulness is key because what it leads to all of these questions, what it leads to is what's called cognitive restructuring. 
Mm. And cognitive restructuring is a process of kind of grappling with the bigger things like the meaning of life and the meaning of the loss and things like that. Or maybe what I love, what my, my, my biggest thing from losing my, my beloved dog died earlier or back in 2020, it's now, I can't say earlier this year anymore. Um, but um, that was such a huge process for me. But in the grief, in the throes of it, I was like, I want to learn and give from the love this pet gave to me. So the love is what she taught me. And that was an opportunity to turn trauma into growth. Mm. There's a whole field of study called post-traumatic growth. And it's that cognitive restructuring. So for me, it was like, what's the lesson from the experience of my life with this pet? And that to me, as I went through that cognitive process while I was emotional, you know, while I was exhausted and not getting any sleep, while my body hurt physically, right? So I was going through all of those different manifestations, symptoms of grief, but I was also working with the mindfulness practices of like, I want to know the meaning of this. As we go through the meaning, searching for meaning, this cognitive restructuring of the meaning of the event and the meaning of this person or this experience in our life, we start to frame a narrative that is more about what we will take from the lesson and go forward with it versus the capacity to dwell in the pain that we experience from it. So the pain is part of the process, but the process is meant to ebb and flow kind of like an up and down trajectory. Some days there's feelings of I'm feeling better. Some days I'm feeling worse. I'm grappling with this. And it can, if we can find a sense of meaning to it, it can promote a sense of growth where we then become a more resilient and I would say um, more wise being. Yeah, that is um, so beautiful. And I think uh, like so many of us grapple with how to make meaning sometimes out of situations. And um, that question that you gave us of, of who am I is such a gift. I think it allows us to really linger on the effects that that um, that per that perhaps someone who has passed has had on our lives, and um, and and to consider the gift that 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 person's presence or or that perhaps just our own journey of moving through the loss, like the gift that that sometimes I know people um, sometimes speak about their journey of moving through loss as being one that has enabled their transformation and. Um, I think that's a really beautiful tool to to work with and this this concept of 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 making meaning of things is 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 so interesting. I feel like I and I don't know if you can speak to this and the research on it, but um there's so much more being talked about and I know I've seen it in some cases um in relationship to to for instance stress and anxiety in particular that that it for instance um is is so much more powerful to live lives that are meaningful even if there is stress but that our ability to make meaning out of those stressful moments is um what leads to more of a sense of of fulfillment even even though there are these moments that can be um really challenging um and maybe dark and and really overwhelming even but that that ability to find a, like some sort of meaning is I, I guess that would come back to this idea of cognitive restructuring 
Absolutely. Look, when we go into the neuroscience of anxiety, stress, trauma, the parts of the brain that are overactive are our instinctual brain, which is our brain stem area, which is the part of our brain that's sending all the signals to the body to go into the fight or flight response. And then the emotional brain, which is the midbrain, which is um, sending us in, giving us the signal that not only do we need to, need to either fight or flight, but it's also giving us the, oh my gosh, I have to be, you know, really scared right now or, you know, something like that. So it, the amygdala in the, in the midbrain area, when it's overactive, also is going to contribute to the thoughts associated with an overactive um, emotional center of our brain. So... The, again, like if we think about this logically in a sense, and, and this is really what I've found to be the key to the work that I do with people is I'm like, okay, well, what part of the brain isn't turned on right now? And what can I yeah. do to turn that part of the brain on so I can redirect the neural circuitry toward really what is why we're human what makes us human is the capacity to use our frontal lobe. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so if we can get into our frontal lobe by thinking about reflecting and problem solving and kind of churning through, you know, whatever it is that we're experiencing, of course, there's a balance to that because we know that an overactive mind is one of the the manifestations of anxiety, but in a way that's like, again, it's a question seeking It's not thinking about something in a way that is like a repetitive thought that is scary. It's more so about what can I take from this situation or what was the meaning of this situation? And when we connect to that meaning of the situation, that's when research wise shows that people are more likely to have a growth experience. Like they would report, um, they would speak of the event as actually a growth inspiring event, a traumatic Mm. event. So um, that too, we see outside of grief research, we see that um, for people who've experienced combat um, and we see that in in other realms when we're looking at trauma um, in particular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, oh, that's so interesting. And and I love, um, I love to the, the kind of opportunity for inquiry here with this question of who am I and the fact that um, in many ways that that like when I I really love posing questions I work a lot with journaling with um, with folks and and in my own life and like those open-ended really powerful questions I think when we're able to really just like sit with and enter into that question and and find a little bit of spaciousness with within um which we can't always do right away but there is this like open-endedness to it as well that it it really reflects our own growth process. You know, you spoke of the ups and the downs and the fact that it's not a linear journey. It's going to kind of like our own journeys are, are going to to take these different pathways. And, um, you know, if we think of it as a pathway, we might take a little detour and come back. But that, you know, like the open endedness of those questions can can be something that that we explore over time and that like, it's not it's not about having the answer right away but as we start to engage with them we're we're able to um 
to really start to access into our, our capacity for growth that is is a thing in and of itself that will evolve and, and transform. One of my favorite um, graduate school professors used to always say, challenge is the greatest opportunity for growth. And it, it, it is, it sets the stage. Um, if we think about our lives and when everything's just going really great, um, then we don't always pay attention so much to those instances of growth or transformation because we're sort of caught up in the rose-colored glasses sort of sense of it all, right? So the thing is, is that, you know, it, it, it goes back to even sort of the, the Tao way, but like, we wouldn't know darkness if we didn't know light, you know, and, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. And so um, we need both. And, and that's part of the experience of life. Um, but the that that quote challenges the op- greatest opportunity for growth. Even when I'm in the throes of challenge, it helps me just to know that even yeah. if I'm grieving or if I'm if I'm if I'm emotionally feeling uncentered, if I'm in a depressed mood, if I'm engaging in a lot of negative self-talk, I mean, psychologists do that too, <laughs> you know, like we all as humans are, are going through this experience and it's highly emotional. Um, and so the thing is, is that if we're just even aware that we're in it, we're in it, we can admit that it's challenging and we can see it as like, you can surrender to the fact that hopefully some sort of growth will come out of it. I mean, that's, I, I feel like that's really shifted my general approach to life in so many ways, especially coming out of a year, you know, with a world pandemic. Uh, it's like, we have no control. Um, yeah. in, if, if in any time we ever learn that, we've learned that now. Um, and maybe we needed to learn it. You know, I don't know. Um, but I think that, again, like, some people are really tapping into their deeper reserves right now um, and shifting and changing. And a lot of people are struggling. And so I think I would say that if we can, if we can share some level of compassion with others is just understanding that it is hard, that we are all going to experience something as difficult during one phase or another. And that if we can just help people to realize that if they can continue to stay with it and work toward, you know, their own well-being, meaning like decreasing any amount of stress, if it just starts with decreasing like an ounce of stress or looking at a thought pattern that might just make be making them feel worse and worse, if we can get people to take a, just a couple of small baby steps, they'll eventually get into the rhythm of being able to tap into the greater healing powers. But it's yeah. a process, like everything. Yeah, yeah, it um, it is, and and so often we want things to move fast and quickly, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it 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 is definitely um, a process, but. Um, I really appreciate that insight you shared and and I definitely can can see that in my own journey that the more that I've been able um, in moments of challenge um, 
when I've been able to look back and think about the fact that I've made it through challenge before. Um, and uh, I was actually asked by someone the other day what one of my strengths was. And, and, um, and it was the first, the first time that I like, that it just like, I didn't even have to think about it, but I was able to say like my resilience and the fact that like, I'm, I'm able to like, to, to, to be in, in situations and, and to, to feel that intensity and, and feel what's happening. And also I'm able to, you know, after at a certain point in time to care for myself in ways that need to be cared for. And, um, and it's a gift to celebrate, I think, our, our growth along along the way. And and even if that growth is just that, you know, we've managed to to get out for walks more in the last few weeks, or we've been focusing more on maybe calling a loved one, or maybe we started to try meditation or whatever those little moments of growth are, I think um, the more that we we celebrate and, and find the meaning in that as well, then the more that can can maybe motivate us. I wonder as we kind of weave our way to the end of our time together, if there's anything on your heart that, um, that you'd like to leave us with. I think that, you know, as adults, um, for those of us that are experiencing grief right now or, or different times in our life when grief comes up, or maybe it's beyond grief, maybe it's depression or anxiety or overwhelm or burnout, you know, all the big, big things that, um, modern society and adults face, and I'm sure adults have over time as well. But my thing is, I would say, and I think you would probably agree with me, Megan, is <clears throat> I would start to really look at your life and start to take things off of your plate that are causing any sort of um, stress or added stress, yeah. things that don't need to be there. So it's a common question I'll ask um, clients like, as they, as they share with me all the different things that are going on and they're talking about how stressed out they are. And eventually after they tell me the course of their day and all the activities they're involved in, I'll, I'll ask what is necessary and what isn't because I'm, I'm really thinking about like, what can I take off of their plate in order to help relieve some of the load? So my, my point that I'm making is, is that decrease the load in areas of your life where it's possible to decrease the load um, in, take an inventory of what isn't working well, whether that's relationships, whether that's one more thing on your to-do list, whether it's the pressure you put on yourself. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, start doing things that you like to do, even in small doses. Um, it's really quite powerful um, being good to yourself. And um, for those of us that as adults, if we grew up in a, in a, way um, where we didn't get that message loud and clear that we were worthy or that we could handle it or that we, you know, were strong or any of those things, whatever those messages that we now take into our lives as adults. And we all have them no matter what type of upbringing we had. We all have some message that we brought with us. Be willing to see other sides of the story. Be willing to see other sides of the story. You don't have to change it. You don't have to, but just be willing to look at it from a different perspective. And if you can't do that, ask someone who loves you to give you another point of view. 
Yeah, yeah, those powerful questions, you know, who am I, but also <laughs> like that that question of like, how might I see this differently? Or the one that I've been working a lot with lately that relates to kind of getting things off your load is, um, is how can I let this be easier? Hmm. So sometimes, you know, not even thinking about um, getting like scratching a total area off the to-do list, but is there a way that I can engage with it where maybe I'm a little bit... Um, I'm a little bit less less intense about it or I'm doing it in a way you know if it's if it's Christmas shopping or or if it's you know um uh like researching something like can I do it but not at a hundred percent like you know like let it let it be a little bit easier or at a hundred and fifty percent um thank you so much Diane for sharing so much um, wisdom and um, so much food for thought and and so many, I think, pathways for thinking about um, interacting with grief in, in a way where we are able to to find a sense of 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 meaning and and that meaning perhaps eventually leading us um, to to growth and to resilience and to um, a, a sense of acceptance and so I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share um and and just so grateful for for your presence and the the light that you shine in this world thank you so much it was a true honor to be a part of this Megan thank you thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation with Diane I so hope it illuminated maybe some new possibilities for thinking about and working with grief in your own life. And I do want to share that Diane has a course available on working with grief. It's on the theory and therapeutic application of yoga. It's designed with yoga teachers in mind, but um, it can be taken if you're not a yoga teacher as well, and that that is available through Yoga Medicine. I'll have it linked uh, in the episode description. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. As always, keep living heart and wonder.